0: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
2: Welcome in to the RotoWire NFL podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, doing some very high-tech stuff right now. We aren't in studio together at the moment. I'm back in Maryland recording this from my parents' house uh, like a true internet guy. Um, Mario, how you doing?
1: I'm okay. I'm not good at Skype or any of these programs that we're using, so... I'm actually like strapped into this rig that DJ and Trainer <laughs> made for me, where it's like I'm not allowed to move. I can move my eyes and, and, you know, I can like tap on tabs to to see different things. But, uh, I'm basically we put the entire room aside for me in bubble wrap so that I hopefully don't start it all on fire while you're not here. Uh, cause yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm very frightened and, uh, ready to talk some fantasy football <laughs> i'm just a, a floating voice to you right now um but yeah <laughs> all right, I'm, so in a, I'm in a very scary like limbo realm and uh very alarmed
2: all right well uh, in addition to talking football i'm gonna try to lead you through that back into uh into the real world here but uh all right, let's get started. There's not a ton of huge news uh, items from this week, but there were a couple that we'll get into here, and then we're going to get into Mario's uh, best ball article uh, that came out earlier this week. Uh, so leading things off, it sounds like Josh Gordon. I I guess like the the update is there is no update. I mean, he it is, still he,
1: exists. He's on the Patriots. He's working out, I guess, with like the team or whatever. But uh, we don't have any clarification on his status but that cuts both ways too it's like we're not getting a yes or a no as to whether he'll be allowed to play again this year but he's still around and it you know the longer that we don't have clarification the more anxious you can get about either scenario and as someone who has no Josh Gordon shares I'm starting to get a little worried like maybe I should get a couple just just to hedge against what I've otherwise collected to this point because if he does play he's their best receiver aside from Edelman of course will be the most heavily featured but in terms of the outside wide receiver snaps Gordon would be better I think than Harry uh at least you know year one for Harry that would be the case so yeah I don't don't know whether there's any kind of timeline or precedent that we can look toward to to guess when something might be confirmed there but uh, he's he's not out. I guess that's uh, maybe the main takeaway in the meantime.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess Harry is sort of the the big uh, sort of not uh, like casualty. I guess you could say here in, in terms of just him his stock being in limbo. He's going inside the top
1: hundred uh, right now in, in
2: MFLs. Um, so I'm pretty for much
1: okay it, with that. But yeah, it's it, it's something where I'm I'm kind of holding back on Harry, maybe seeing if. Maybe that ADP slides a little bit if people get anxious about it, and maybe then it's a better time to buy. But, uh, yeah, it's it's we know Edelman's going to get a ton. James White's going to be very busy. Don't know how much there is for a rookie receiver if Josh Gordon is on the field. But if Josh Gordon isn't on the field, then they almost have to feature Harry prominently
2: right and as it stands right now Josh Gordon kind of going for free outside the top 200 so i mean not not really surprising that he's sort of in that lottery ticket uh type of range but i mean that that could tick up as you know yeah. as as the summer progresses
1: yeah i would guess that's going to go up a little bit because if only for it's almost as simple as a lot of people probably forgot that he's there and now they remember that he is so uh he he might be on lists that that he previously was not and that that probably could push him up a few rounds but i don't know i guess as as long as it's if i can get him in like the 16th or something then i i'm probably gonna pull the trigger but we'll see if i have the shot
2: Okay that makes sense that makes sense uh moving on to another receiver whose role uh a little bit less uh murky one that's he's in a new spot but it seems like it's going to Things are trending in the right direction for him, at the very least, and that's Dante Moncrief in Pittsburgh. Obviously, Juju Smith, uh, Schuster being the number one guy, they going to be an absolute target monster this year. I mean, could push for the lead league, honestly. Yeah. But Pittsburgh obviously needs to, you know, have some threats on the outside. That's why they went ahead and got Moncrief, and uh, you know, they, they drafted Deontay Johnson, James Washington, a, a high draft pick from last year, still kicking around. But it looks like Moncrief has already kind of jumped James Washington in the pecking order here. Uh, you've all been kind of a Moncrief guy waiting for him to to really click in and have his full breakout at the NFL level so do you think this is the spot where it finally happens for him
1: I'm still agnostic on it and, and with Moncrief he's he's just one of those cases where even if he's not particularly good which I think by now we can say he's not that good but even so he's still toolsy and he was very productive actually at a young age at Mississippi. And so when you generally, when you have a guy as big and fast as him who produces at the age that he ages that he did the way he did, they very rarely turn out to be complete zeros. And even if they're underachievers, even if they're inconsistent, they'll usually have like a one you know window of their career where they kind of play to the expectations that everyone always had. Uh, even if it's a you know, flash in the pan one year kind of thing. So, it's been a few years, and Moncrief hasn't had that year yet, but it's like, why not now? I mean, Roethlisberger threw for over 5,000 yards last year. He's still big and fast on a team that doesn't have much size or speed at receiver. So uh, even Juju, I mean, he's, he's, of course, infallible, but he doesn't stretch the defense, really. Uh, he's crafty after the catch, and that's how he makes those big plays that he does, but he doesn't specifically make the safety turn his hips early in a play the way Moncrief can. So if there's deep shots to take seems like it's Moncrief who's their best option and uh with that said we'll see where his price settles in at I don't really know what to expect I mean this isn't uh, I should mention I guess it was Mark Cavali of the the athletic that made this observation so uh I feel like it's not necessarily big news like I think there might have been indications that Moncrief was the likely wide receiver too anyway and it's just because of one of those things like he's uh 26 or 27 now uh, James Washington is a second year receiver who really struggled last year. And it's even if Washington, you know, turns it around, it's just hard for a second year guy to compete with a veteran uh, with the tools that Moncrief has. So I, I don't know if there's anything new. I don't know if we can expect the ADP to shift, but I, I guess uh, it looks like it was 167 about in draft uh, ADP in June. I guess that could go more toward like the 14th, 13th round. And at that point, I don't know if I really want to buy more. I have a few shares of him, but uh, I don't know. We'll see if, if in training camp, he has glowing reviews. If Roethlisberger says like, he's my best friend, then I guess I <laughs> might have to be willing to pay more in like that 10th round kind of range. But in the meantime, him being the wide receiver too, doesn't mean that he'll become, you know, what Juju was last year. And Juju becomes Antonio Brown because that could just be a more crowded offense than people anticipate okay uh jalen samuels if he's going to get involved some of that's probably going to be as a receiver so uh like as an actual lining up in the slot or outside playing wide receiver and uh that would probably be at Moncrief's uh, expense to some extent james washington i don't think is going to be disappearing from the team or anything uh ryan switzer and eli rogers both have a lot of uh, experience there now so It could be, uh, you know, he could be the second leading receiver and still more like a 750, 800 yard kind of guy than like a 1000 yard one. But uh, he's still worth the price, in my opinion, because especially in best ball, because Moncrief is one of those guys being big and fast. he, he, He becomes like an air yardage downfield kind of guy. So just by doing that in a Roethlisberger offense, he presents the kind of weekly upside that you like to find in best ball. So basically, you're kind of seeing a situation
2: where the the usage tree uh, and the target tree uh, for Pittsburgh kind of expands, whereas last year, I mean, Roethlisberger didn't have a ton of reason to go away from guys like Antonio Brown and Juju. But now this year, I mean, Juju's the one super proven guy, and everyone else just kind of like is, is going to be fighting for those targets otherwise. So, I mean, we could see, you know, receivers two through five kind of have similar-ish target
1: volume in production. Yeah, I mean, Moncrief could run away with it, too, but it could just as easily – with with a paradigm shift like this, pretty much everything is up for negotiation. And so Juju could become the – I mean, he will become the Antonio Brown in the offense, but the former Juju role might get cut into two instead of just going to the next guy. So uh, we'll see. I mean, if if they just don't feature Samuels much this year, if it's pretty much just James Conner – and and Samuels isn't doing that much, or if uh, if uh, but yeah, if if both Connor and Samuels are busy, some of that has to come out of uh, either like Vance McDonald's target share or Moncrief's. And McDonald's been there a little while, so he he seems to work pretty well with Roethlisberger. I would generally bet on him uh, having his workload more more assured than Moncrief, but you never know. And, and uh, they the answer could just be all three of. Juju McDonald and Moncrief go off and still uh Connor and and Samuels are both featured but uh at the very least it's one of those things like Samuels is a problem for Washington in addition to Moncrief something like that like somebody uh somebody's gonna get the short end of the stick of course and I don't know it just it's uh you know as much as Moncrief has all these tools and this experience that Washington and Deontay Johnson don't he also is new to the system, so True. Uh, There, there could just be like a jump ball utility form that he does, where the you know the system knowledge isn't that important. But it also could matter. So uh, it's it's hard to take that much for granted with Moncrief as as much upside as there might be. Uh, with that said, at this price, I think the risk is more than baked into it. Uh, we'll we'll see how high it goes, though. Okay, and then just
2: rounding things out here, uh, looking at at your general portfolio of of the drafts you've done thus far. How much James Washington do you have? How much more are you interested in acquiring, especially at his current price? Where it look, you know, looking at Roto-Wire's ADP that pulled in from the MFLs, he is going significantly higher than, than a guy like Moncrief right now.
1: Yeah, I have no Washington shares, and I don't plan to pursue any. Okay, I think he's one of the most obvious. Just. Terrible ideas in the ADP right now. <laughs> okay, I I, I kind
2: of got the sense that that's like what you were saying without directly saying it, but I, I wanted it wanted it to get it out there. Um, so let's let's shift gears. Let's go to Jacksonville. Um, some not so great news regarding Marquise Lee and his recovery. Obviously, he tore his ACL during training camp last year, and it looks like he could start the season on the pup list. So that that obviously uh, bodes poorly, and especially you know for for him being close to a year. Out in his recovery uh, still potentially needing to miss a good chunk of the season uh, that kind of changes the picture as far as uh, this Jaguars receiving core goes
1: yeah and I don't know what we can expect with his knees recovery because he's, he might be his own case with what he's looking at because he had some PCL damage in addition to the ACL <laughs> and that might be the reason that he's not ready to go yet because he, it was it was late August it wasn't more than a year that we're at but when you're at this point, he you should basically, you know, 11 and a half months or whatever from an ACL tear. Nowadays, you should be pretty much ready to go uh, so that he's at all a question for the next uh, couple months. Kind of makes me pessimistic, and I don't know. like, But as long as he – if he is going to the PUP list and he, you know, misses the first six games, as long as he's actually going to be healthy at the end of that, then I still think he makes sense in best ball in the last couple rounds just because – as much as I expect a bounce back year from Fournette, I think uh, the the Jaguars' passing game will improve sizably with Nick Foles there, even if he's still below average, still okay. better than Bortles or Kessler or, or whatever nonsense they'd they'd had before. So, I I think that Lee, being an experienced player in the Doug Marone system, and like a totally decent player in his own right. As long as he's healthy, I think he can step back in and immediately be better than Keelan Cole and certainly Chris Conley, who uh, apparently is standing out, but I do not buy it one bit. Uh, Oh, fine. (laughs) Sorry. He's, I mean, he's he's fast. And to be fair, I mean, the Chiefs were using him underneath, which I didn't understand last year. He's just like a fly route guy. But um, DJ Chark is a fly route guy, too. And I think he's definitely better than chris conley so there's unknowns there um but lee was a pretty established player before the injury so if his health is assured then i think even 10 games of him in best ball can be useful in the last couple rounds but in the meantime i i mean i already have i don't know how many shares probably like i don't know five to eight or something so i'm probably putting a moratorium on that i don't think i'm going to be pursuing chark or cole or anybody like that as much as they could do something I mean whatever I like Chark as a prospect I think he's I think he's uh it's way too early to be writing him off but outside of D.D. Westbrook I'm not going to be getting any Jacksonville receivers for the time being
2: yeah I mean it's interesting like it sounds like individually you, you like the the pieces there to to an extent and you say uh you know that that you're expecting an improvement overall in this Jags passing game but like at the same time, where is it really going to be coming from, especially if Lee is out for like the first month and a half?
1: Yeah, Cole, I mean, he had a nice stretch two years ago. He could step right back in. Uh, Westbrook was their main slot guy, though, and Cole, I don't know if he has much of an outside skill set, so maybe Westbrook's blocking him. Maybe Shark and Conley are the outside receivers, in which case that just sounds like a big workload for D.D. Westbrook to me because as much as I still think Shark is good, even the things that he was convincing about as a prospect kind of conceded, you know, he's one dimensional. He's pretty much a fly route guy. But, oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. He, he could do something. But I, I think for the meantime, if if Lee is out, then D.D. Dee Dee Westbrook could be looking at 10 targets a game or something like that. Oh, well,
2: that certainly uh, becomes a, a pretty useful uh, asset to have in your arsenal there. Um, so let's uh, let's shift gears to your article. You've kept things rolling on your best ball journal. Uh, this one posted a little bit earlier this week. Uh, and you kind of led things off uh, talking about how the, the top tier of the uh, running back crop is starting to really uh, solidify here. Um, so uh, let's get into that specifically with, regarding uh, McCaffrey's uh, slight ascension and David Johnson moving around to the top five as well
1: yeah so these are kind of different reasons uh, and they're slight shifts to McCaffrey going 3.2 to 2.5 David Johnson 6.1 to 5.3 but it shows that they're kind of crossing a threshold and in McCaffrey's case it's Ezekiel Elliott who suffers for it Uh, Alvin Kamara also a chance to close in on Elliott he's at 3.5 3.5 to Elliot's 3.2 and I should say this is this is as of like four days ago or whatever um so something these things could have shifted slightly in the meantime but uh with David Johnson it's more that just on his own people are people are looking at him more and kind of realizing oh the Cardinals might really run like 76 plays a game this year and David Johnson uh, if, if I recall correctly is good at catching the ball and what yeah so uh they they started thinking oh wait oh that's a lot of receptions isn't it and yeah it's it's going to be a lot of catches for david johnson i know some people were saying uh actually the cliff kingsbury offense is bad for him because uh delay and ward didn't catch many passes at texas tech like this is not (laughs) delay and ward yeah (laughs) Uh, this is basically the wide receiver one in that offense because i mean I, i know fitzgerald's gonna be busy i like christian kirk a lot but david johnson is going to play receiver in these sets where delay and ward would have maybe been pass blocking or not on the field at all so whatever you thought of Texas tech's receivers that's more analogous to the passing game function that David Johnson will see out there and in the past he's been uniquely productive in this capacity so uh makes a lot of sense for him to be up there because the, he could he could have a 1000 1000 season it really would not be shocking in my opinion uh he started this offseason around like the 14th overall pick in the ADP which was very easily identifiable as as insane. Um, right. I'm kind of surprised at how much the public has picked up on him, just because they seemed so cold and bitter toward him just a couple months ago. But I mean, the, the numbers are pretty clear, and I think I think people are kind of just having their uh, wh- whatever resentment they might have to Johnson for his last two years. That they're, they're kind of looking at that those those projections and going like, oh, I guess I can get over that. Um, so yeah, he's moving up, Zeke's moving down, Kamara might move down or move up rather sorry uh the same way McCaffrey moved up when Zeke started sliding uh, although it seemed like McCaffrey kind of even aside from the Elliott suspension fears uh which I should mention if for some yeah what, you, yeah what
2: yeah what <laughs> yeah what's your sort of uh, thought there I, how concerned are you that that's gonna go through
1: well Elliott's a moron and he he mm-hmm. did put himself in a stupid position by having this come up at all uh he's he's a total idiot hothead but I don't think he actually did anything <laughs> like the the uh the security guard, you know, he he was hassled by Elliot like Elliot was basically like getting in his face uh but not not like threatening him actually. He was just kind of being a loudmouth moron and uh the security guard kind of just does like a halfway like f- he, he did like a falling fetal position kind of thing into uh a, a guard rail I guess it would You be love called. that
2: in your security guards to just fold like that yeah
1: yeah the the bear defense uh he had a <laughs> locked in uh speed dial and and it was it was nothing like he he kind of just like tipped over um but he also made no effort to like really get away or anything and he he I'm sorry but if he didn't even like set his feet it's like he he specifically was uh, it's like he was doing, like, a trust fall or something, and uh, anyway, <laughs> the league is looking at it, and no one can know what it's going to turn out to be, because Goodell has uh, just arbitrary standards, precedent is, is not something to factor in with him, and he kind of has a thing for Elliot already, and maybe Jerry Jones already, so he could get suspended. I, I doubt he will, but it, and if he does, I can't imagine it would be more than, like, a game, but... We can't really rule it out, and in the meantime, it's like there's McCaffrey, there's Kamara, there's David Johnson. You're not worried about any of them getting suspension. So, especially if you already had Ezekiel Elliott shares, you might have looked to to those other guys just because you, you have more reason to be sure he plays 16 games. So, yeah, uh, we'll see where it goes. I don't know. Goodell moves at his own pace with things, and he he doesn't uh, really cooperate with media. Doesn't and again because there's no precedent don't know where it's going um but yeah I, I i don't really know uh but even aside from that mccaffrey kind of had a, a resurgence of hype in the past couple of weeks anyway like there was just kind of this drumbeat building up on twitter about like actually he's even better than we thought and Is i don't it really the picture see- was it a picture from oh yeah Minitamp? he's got his biceps get bigger every off season that, that, that helps that better. helps you as a right that's why he got yeah. good last year because his biceps got bigger um but yeah i think i think um I view it more likely the opposite way and granted I I whiffed on McCaffrey last year so I guess I just am not a good authority on this but I am pretty sure last year was the was the maxed out version of it he played like 91 percent of their snaps which you do that enough years you're gonna break Uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing really on those snaps like you can't play that much Uh, catching as many getting as much usage as he does you know I'm not predicting a an injury for McCaffrey but That kind of workload has a way of slowing you down at some point and inviting complications, basically. So I think last year was the best case scenario. And if you know, to be clear, that's worth the first overall pick for sure, if he can repeat that. Uh, But the idea that he's got room for growth, I don't buy that at all. Okay, that, that that makes sense in this in the idea that he's potentially or
2: last year was like the completely topped out version, but still worthy of, of it of a yeah. high pick, obviously. But uh, topping those numbers going to be uh, tough for him to do. Um, let's move on. Uh, Damian Williams. It seems like things have kind of uh, gone in the right direction uh, for him as well. You kind of had the sniff out earlier that the the perceived competition uh, between Carlos Hyde and and the and the two rookies, uh, one of whom has been cut uh already in james williams um i side note we'll get to james williams in a second actually but uh with damien williams seems like things are going in the right direction uh you know kind of give us your your primer on that
1: yeah so it was pretty fashionable and in, in like the uh, fantasy football twitter uh, at least some corners of it following the draft <laughs> specifically uh, the selection of Darwin Thompson, who we both like, and James Williams signed as an undrafted free agent. There's a bunch of these people saying, "Oh, that's it for Damian Williams, man, he's done." <laughs> and just like, it's like, so- did what? A sixth round pick from Utah. Like, I like Darwin Thompson, but he's not even as good of a prospect coming out of Utah State as Kerwin Williams was. And if Kerwin was on the roster, would if they signed him, would you have gone like, "Oh, sell your Damian shares. That's it. It's a wrap." Um. So that was stupid, but uh, it, and not, that, was, that was like a, a very cool opinion to have for about two weeks and, and not so much now. They actually cut James Williams already. Right. So uh, Darwin's going to make the team, I would imagine. And again, we like him, but there's no objective reason to think that he's going to profile as a starter in the NFL, and per- especially not over someone who played the way Damian Williams did last year. Damian Williams, he went undrafted out of Oklahoma, but I, I would, and this is not just hindsight that i'm using here but i would have projected him as a better prospect than darwin thompson because he's a toolsy player a lot i mean he was undrafted damien williams was but he has a lot of uh, physical tools to work with he he's a guy who probably lacked vision more than anything but in that mahomes offense and that andy Reid offense there's nothing to read there's just space and he can run really fast he's a 445 guy at over 220 mm-hmm. pounds always been a really good receiver so the system maximizes his strengths and basically removes his limitation. Uh, you know, in any other offense, yeah, Damian Williams was probably averaging like three point eight yards per carry because he just kinda runs into people. But with Mahomes spreading the field the way he does, he it said runs into field. And once he's there, he's fast, and once he's moving, he's still 220 pounds. It's it's it worked last year for a reason. It wasn't a fluke. It all adds mm. up to me. So um Carlos Hyde is a concern because He's a toolsy guy, too. He was a pretty nice prospect coming out of Ohio State, but sure. really brutal numbers the last two years. And he, as much as I think he could run effectively for the Chiefs, I don't think he can run as effectively as Damian. And the passing game consideration is not a comparison at all. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but for his career, Hyde, has, he, he catches the ball okay, but he goes nowhere, ever. And when he catches the ball it's something like four and a half yards per target for his career whereas Williams is one of these standout receivers like he's actually above average as a pass catcher uh, he's the kind of guy who can catch 75 plus percent of his targets at six and a half yards per target that doesn't sound exciting but it you know it's it's those are the kind of things you want to those are the kind of rates you want to see as a pass catcher it's certainly not what Hyde does so uh, I don't think there's any incentive for them to give Hyde work at Williams's expense even though they're not financially committed to Williams on that cheap two-year deal because they're not more invested in Hyde either. Like that, okay. the thing like pointing to his contract, like, well, what contract does Hyde have? It's like it's, it would be a problem if they had like a second-round pick on the roster. Uh, Hyde is a cast-off journeyman, so whatever. Uh, but yeah, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, said Damien's a starter. We expect him to excel. So with that. About seven spots up in the in the rankings, up the ADP I should say, for Damian Williams at twenty one, I still think he should go ahead of Dalvin Cook. So I think there's room for even more helium there. And and you like Dalvin Cook like a fair bit too. So like that's yeah. you're not just like saying that just to say it. Well, in talent sense, certainly love Dalvin, but uh, the injury concerns are legitimate, and sure. I think that Madison selection indicates that they might use him as a goal line back. So. I mean, I I think Dalvin Cook is super talented, but to be more afraid of Damian Williams' contract or Carlos Hyde or Darwin Thompson than you are of that Minnesota offensive line and Dalvin Cook's hamstring, that's pretty crazy to me.
2: I do think Minnesota's O-line is is due for a a big jump forward this year, but... But um, at the same at the same time, I mean, it, it couldn't have gotten much worse. And, and really the durability stuff with, with Cook, I think, is, is the biggest uh, thing working against him. If, it, if he goes for all 16 games, then I think he ends up being a top 10 running back. But that's true. Um, but again, that, that's that's a bigger ask than, say, uh, asking Carlos Hyde to, to usurp a guy like Damon Williams, who, again, is you laid out his case uh, really well there. Let's keep things in Kansas City. Uh, our favorite topic uh Michael Hardman uh, so so it looks like he's selling is, the stock
1: is... boys it's time to sell we <laughs> let's short them. it baby we tricked them into thinking he's good and now it's time to get out rush, get man. out um no I, I i did mention him as i think he's too expensive now at 87.8 but that's uh, that's that's not me um you know like like when jesus and satan had a boxing match in south park and and satan uh. threw the match like that's not thousand yards. Uh, we did not uh, short uh, what you know what, what we were saying in public, um, but uh, at eighty seven point eight, he's up to, and, and I guess the May sample was around ninety seven. That's pretty high. We're talking, I guess, that's uh, early eighth round, mid to late eighth round is is the range now. I I like Michael Hardman quite a bit, and I still don't think Tyree Kill is going to play this year. But that's pretty high. That's that that's early eighth round, and it's it's um you know that's that's another probably established receiver like marvin jones that you're picking hardman over to make that pick and i would want you know i wouldn't want to go every time marvin jones over Michael hardman but if i have one bullet i am because he's like a 1000 yard 10 touchdown guy the last two years and hardman as good as he is there's there's things that could go wrong i mean this is still only his uh third year playing receiver Yep. um he's he's just recently turned 21, so he's young and inexperienced for his age. So, I I do think though he will be good right away. It's just that if Hill plays at all this year, and if you know Sammy Watkins probably won't, but if he does play 16 games, Tyreek uh, then then in that case, Mikel's the third receiver in that offense, and and, for, and like fourth overall target, maybe even fifth. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So. That would be hard for him to to provide returns at I think even in like the twelfth round range if that's the case. Okay. And in, the thing is, it's like even if Hill doesn't play at all this year, I was more thinking ninth round, tenth round for Hardman. Like eighth round seems expensive to me. Even if Goodell announces today that Tyreek Hill is you know getting launched into outer space, like that wouldn't. Even then, make me sign off on Hardman in the early eighth. But who knows? There, there might be there's, some of these ADPs might be a little weird because the draft uh, best ball championship has been running for a bit now, and with the kind of volume that a lot of people play in there, you get hedge picks. I mean, people get very conscious about their exposure uh, that they take the game theory aspect uh, more aggressively. So. Uh, Someone might take a player that they basically don't like at a certain pick because their spreadsheet tells them they need, you know, 11 percent exposure to them and they're only at six and a half right now. Stuff like that. So maybe maybe Hardman slides back into that kind of ninth, tenth round range as as people cycle through their percentages right now. But, yeah, in the meantime, it's like, I'm out. I'm not paying that. Okay, so.
2: Can you rationalize then why why he would be going up you know upwards of ten picks over the course of the last month, especially when you know things seem to be? I mean, I, I get what you're saying, where you don't necessarily expect Tyreek Hill um, to to uh, to be playing this year, or at least playing all 16 games. But at the same time, the silence is kind of deafening on that on that front as far as the yeah. NFL disciplining him. So it, it feels more and more like Ty. Tyre- I feel like it's. You know, fifty-five, forty-five. That that Hill sees the field in some capacity this year. So with that, I. What do you think the rationale is for Hardman seeing this slight increase here?
1: I don't really know. I think it might be as simple as the coverage of him of following the draft was so hysterically negative. Like people were just embarrassing oh, themselves, uh, trying trying to demean the pick. That it naturally had to take a more measured stance with time. Like no one can, no one can out, you know, pessimist the, the things people were saying about Hardman immediately after the draft. So it's almost like just by, just by the, the, the dynamic of getting bored with the subject, his reception would get more positive because it's like people would just shut up about it eventually. Um, but it's not just that. I mean, there's by now, you know, mini camp footage of him running and people see that and they like, that's, yeah, that is fast, isn't it? And <laughs> they think, all oh, right. Mahomes is his quarterback. That's right. He had fifty touchdowns last year, and they kind of, you know, think it through a little bit more than they did when they were just, you know, s- screaming Hakeem Butler and just like running into traffic and and <laughs> doing all those things running into garbages and stuff. Uh, they they've done they've done that enough, and uh, they've moved on to other things. and now there's just kind of like, this void where there used to be negative coverage and and people are kind of inferring on a more, uh, you know, rational basis at this point. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think it made sense for his reception to improve just by default, but he, I don't think he's going to embarrass himself or anything in training camp. I I think they'll, you know, he is raw. So you're, you're not going to hear reports of him just dusting everybody. Um, but there will be flash plays and, and moments where everyone goes like, Oh, this guy could be different, you know? Um, so th- those moments are going to happen. We'll see what happens with his his stock, but yeah, I'm suppri- I think it has to level back down a little bit the ADP because like you said, is is the longer they go without saying anything about Hill, uh, the more clear it is that the at the very least they're going to try to sneak him in. And I don't I still don't think they're going to be able to pull it off. I don't think I I think they they're underestimating how difficult it might be to to sell this. Um, especially if, if, uh, Goodell plans on antagonizing Elliot anymore. Like, can you imagine, uh, trying to suspend Elliot for a game or two after the Vladi Divac thing, when (laughs) Tyreek Hill is on tape saying, you need to be afraid of me too, bitch. Uh, in response to this woman saying that the son is afraid of him, like until they say that that's not him on that tape, I don't think he's playing. the Um,
2: The sad thing is with Goodell, like I wouldn't put it past him entirely. Well,
1: of course. I mean, I think that's what he means to do. I just think it all might hit the fan a little harder than he thought ahead of time. And I think he, okay. when that kind of public scrutiny comes out, I think he'll, he'll cower and be like, oh, uh, you know, this guy, that was this guy's idea. And, you know, just, uh, you know, have some other, uh, weasley way of, of reversing his decision without, without, uh, admitting, you know, it's basically bad intentions. Um, sure. but yeah, anyway, I, I still think that's going to happen, but, uh, I'm, I'm, there's a chance that hill th- does play all year that they sneak him in. Um I don't think they can suspend him at all uh, without suspending him the whole year though because you can't say one or two or four or six game suspension for guy beating his kid after beating the pregnant mother previously as a known offense before he came into the league. Like it's it's just one of those things you you have to completely deny it, to sweep it under the rug or you have to admit that it's a really bad thing and suspend him more than the other players you're disciplining you can't give them the same suspension as the guy who uh you know uh got thrown Smoked out of cheeses or whatever yeah yeah
2: so with you there um let's shift gears um a guy that you're kind of coming around on uh recently uh you saw i saw a tweet from you earlier this week saying simply i
1: might have been wrong about geronimo allison please go on <laughs> yeah so i still i still don't think i am but I admit it's it's more likely than I than I previously figured. Um, you, we remember the legend of Mike Dudek, the greatest receiver of all time. And
2: 2014 Illinois football was incredible.
1: Yeah, it, it actually is legitimately disheartening that his career got ruined by knee injuries because he probably would have been really good. Um, yep. But yeah, so Allison was clear number two receiver to him uh, as a junior, and I think Dudek was a true freshman at the time. So yep. that was a bad look. Um, but when Dudek got hurt, for Allison's senior year, Allison finished with over 30% of Illinois' passing yardage which, you know, that's the volume wasn't big and it's it's kind of one of those this is the least you can do kind of things as a senior uh non-prospect. Um but it was that's that's a strong showing, legitimately strong showing. Sure. So he's not a he, I, I was thinking of him as like wide receiver Rob Kelly and that's not accurate. I don't know what the new comparison is, but it, it's not Rob Kelly. It's not that bad. Uh, I still think that Equinemius, uh, Alan Lazard, even Jamon Moore and apparently Jake Kumaro now, uh, I feel like they're all on his level, though. And I feel like the advantage that he ever had was just kind of experience advantage, which will dwindle literally every day that passes. So I'm inclined to think at least one of those guys is going to either outright overtake Allison or at least screw it up for him enough that at these new prices, which is at about 97th overall that it's a very thin margin of error, but you know, I have to consider the possibility which certainly exists that Allison does just remain ahead of them. In which case, uh, I mean, if he's playing in the slot, which that's what the, the deal was with when they opened minicamps, like Valdez Scantling was outside as the second receiver, Devontae Adams is, of course, the lead guy by a mile. And then when they went three wide, it would Allison in the slot. So even if Valdis Gantling plays more snaps because he he stays in two wide sets, I think that Allison would project for the second most targets on the team just because of playing in the slot in an offense that will rarely go fewer than three receivers. So yeah, 96, you know, it's Geronimo, Allison at 97, 96. That's not something I am eager to jump into. But if you write instead, you know, bracket Aaron Rodgers, second leading target, then I'm, I'm like, oh, well, I'll buy that. And then, you know, you, you reveal it. But it, it's Geronimo Allison. No, it's oh, catchy. my God. Um, but yeah, so I had to I, I'm like shocked and I'm like, oh, my God. No. But then I, I'm like, OK, I'll still pick him, I guess. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. I don't really want to pay the 97. I feel like he's kind of reaching the peak price for now. Um okay. I think I can maybe get him more around that 110 range again. I'm at least going to watch out for that sort of shot rather than uh the higher end of his price range. But uh I could be wrong if if you know if if Valdez Scantling and Jake Kumro fall off in the training camp or something and Allison runs away like he could go really high like I don't know fifth sixth round. I doubt that's going to happen, but that's the worst case scenario I need to plan for if if I want to get any shares of him before then.
2: OK, that all makes sense. Uh, let's uh, let's finish up uh, getting into some guys whose stocks uh, have been falling. I'll kind of give you a dealer's choice uh, as to uh, who you'd want to kind of go after
1: here between uh, Miles Sanders and his uh, slip down, uh, Devin Funches or Mike Davis. Yeah, Miles Sanders. It was just as simple as people went crazy after the draft thinking like they're going to give him 20 carries a game because they traded it up in the second round. Uh, it's like no they're not going to um but a lot of people acted on that premise drafting him in the fifth round of drafts i listed him i noted him here at dropping from 60.2 to 65.2 that's going to keep dropping uh that's yeah i wouldn't touch him inside like the top 80 at least yeah i know as of when i was writing this even at that 65.2 there were people talking about how he was falling into the eighth round of their drafts and i think that's where he's going to settle now uh probably him going mid to late eighth, Howard going early, mid ninth, something like that, which I think is right. Uh, As much as I think Howard is not going to just disappear from that offense, I probably would rank Sanders ahead of him in a vacuum. It was just, you know, I I was never going to get anywhere near willing to pay the price for Sanders. So it was an immaterial distinction to me. It was like the first guy basically doesn't exist. And so the second one, uh, Howard, is, is the better value, was the better value. We'll see if he goes up. I don't I don't think he will. I think people just don't buy him. Um, yeah. but at least they're souring on Sanders a little bit. And yeah, I would guess he'll fall from not just sixty to sixty five, but more like 80, 85 kind of range soon.
3: That okay. Was, I, sorry, I, that was
1: I, that was specifically because Deuce Staley said like oh yeah, we're going to do a running back by committee like we do every single year. Remember how we did that every year before this one?
2: I know. I don't, I can't believe it took this long for people to kind of like figure that out. I just don't, the the Philadelphia backfield has been just kind of a black hole for fantasy in my mind, pretty much since Peterson got there. And like, it's, it's, it functions really well, like as a whole, but like in terms of fantasy, like it's, it's, you're really just kind of guessing.
1: Yeah. I saw some people saying like, well, that's just because he had bad running backs before. And it's like, that's not a reason for a running back by committee. You'd still have every reason to just pick one guy if he's better than the next two. Like you don't make your running backs who are bad better by having them play less. That's not a thing. Um, but the, the other thing that and they were saying, you know, well, well, Sanders there though, this is, this is like, now they got got blue chip prospect and they're going to feed him. And it's like Jay Ajayi was there and I think the first or second week off of the practice squad as an undrafted rookie, Corey Clement would get rotated in for Ajayi in the red zone of game opening drives. So the that they did it for quality reasons rather than like a philosophically dictated strategy of rotating for the sake of rotating. Uh, like I just don't know what anyone was looking at with that. So, um, but yeah, they they rotated in Clement at Ajayi's expense. What makes you think? that sanders even if he's the lead guy which there's no reason to take that for granted why are you so sure he won't get rotated out for smallwood or something like that in the opening drives like what if he's not the red zone back and he's still just getting like 10 carries a game or something like that's more realistic than the optimist the optimistic scenario in my opinion so i don't want to draft sanders until like the 10th round um probably 1a 1b kind of thing with howard And uh, so, yeah, I doubt I end up with much of either, but still looks more likely that I get Howard shares than Sanders ones. Okay, that that makes sense to me. And yeah, Sanders is definitely like on my fade list uh, for, for this year
2: for for the reasons that you uh, laid out there. Uh, let's round things out here. Uh, let's get into Devin Funches, who's dropped about uh, 12 or 13 picks roughly over the over the course of the last month or so, going from uh, around pick 104 to pick 116, 117 now. So uh, you're kind of confused by, by uh, this development yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing the best explanation that I have is that when Funches signed with the Colts and free agency, the press was just negative. Like everybody was just like, Oh, he sucks. Why would they do this? And look how much money, because it was like a one year, it was, it was basically like a funny money kind of thing, like one year, 9 million or something where it's, uh, you know, they were, they were willingly overpaying him this year so that he wouldn't demand a second year on the contract. That's, that's all it was. But people kind of freaked out at the dollar amount on, on the average per year basis. And, uh, so, it was it's kind of almost like the hardman thing where i almost wonder if well there was the, of course like the team tried to spin it like Reich came out and said like oh my god he looks so good and uh, whatever the somebody else was with the team maybe it was the gm saying just oh you get Devin funchess is is going to be the president actually and you know, they're, they're just <laughs> saying all these overly you know effusive praise of him but even if they hadn't said those things eventually people would have gotten bored with complaining about the signing and his ADP would probably benefit just from like that void of negative reception. Um, so I'm guessing, you know, there were a bunch of these people who had like a sour opinion of him. They heard heard Reich and whoever else it was saying all these positive things about Fungus, and they thought like, all right, well, I, you know, begrudgingly they end up buying just because just, you know, in case they're wrong about the first suspicion. And uh, it's like maybe they've got their fill of funches hedges and now they're just kind of looking other places and uh that might explain why it's just people like me who were drafting him the whole time who are who are still picking him because like everybody's kind of had enough for now because otherwise there was no new information it's not even something like you know paris campbell looks awfully good in mini camps i mean as far as i know he has but um there wasn't even like a, a big hype item there wasn't some tout saying like I'm fading Funches, and I'm going with Paris Campbell like that or maybe it happened and I just didn't notice I don't know um but that when you see a market shift like that with nothing actionable happening in between the two points it's generally uh you know, one of these two points everybody was wrong and I think it's the second one I think he was worth the the 100 overall kind of pick range and if he's falling toward like 115 120 I'm just going to keep buying because as much as I like Paris Campbell, and I do like him more than most people did, I think, before the draft, um, I think they have different functions. And I think in the meantime, Campbell's more of a problem for Naheem Hines and Funches' problem, if he's going to have one, is Ebron. But I think Funches mm-hmm. is the problem for Ebron instead. OK. All right. I, I think uh, I like the way uh, that you put that. Um, do you have
2: any other uh, parting shots before we wrap things up here?
1: Uh, Similar to Funchess, I got to keep buying Mike Davis even though I have too many shares because... Uh, people are getting really revved up about David Montgomery, and I, I think this might even be because it's coinciding with the fall of Sanders. Like, there's just this there's this hole in our souls where we need to have some rookie that we're hyping, uh, f- feeling like we're ahead of the curve on or something. What, what
2: was the what was the the take recently that we were laughing about oh, Montgomery? Brad, ever? Brad
1: Evans said he would take David Montgomery over Leonard Fournette. Which okay, it's like <laughs> I I can s- kind of see it from like. The cash game sort of logic angle because it's like, well, I guess I'm more confident in Montgomery playing 16 games than Fournette, but I also think Fournette could do more in uh, six or eight games than Montgomery might do in 16. So, uh, and part of that's because Mike Davis, uh, he's a journeyman, he's not remarkable, but if you look at his objective production and athletic traits and compare it to Montgomery, you can't sell yourself that montgomery's actually better and mike davis was a fourth round pick so like montgomery being a third round pick it's like even the pedigree angle doesn't make a slam dunk case there so uh the bears are obviously more committed to montgomery he's a third round pick they traded up for whereas uh mike davis is on a two-year basically no penalty kind of contract but he ran pretty well last year he was a totally decent prospect coming out of south carolina he's faster he's quicker uh he might be he's 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 like a lower center of gravity and and as similarly heavy as montgomery so i think he's going to be totally good and he's a good pass catcher I, I i don't expect mike davis to be making you know my teams i don't think he's going to be a league winner i do i am pretty sure though he's uh good enough uh to screw things up for the montgomery shares at his elevated price which is all the way up in the fourth round he's even going ahead of somebody like philip Lindsay, which is just crazy to me um but yeah mike davis necessarily had his stock fall as people are getting more sold on david montgomery and that's that's valid logic there but there's the false premise i think that montgomery was going to do whatever it is that they think he is like i that's the part i disagree with and uh falling toward the 180th pick it's like come on i mike davis could start six games this year you know like that's that's a pretty easy sell for me when the price is that low Yeah, I I think so, too. All right. So that's gonna wrap things
2: up uh, for today's show. We'll be back in studio together. Hopefully the the audio on this uh, sounds good. I'm sure uh, DJ will work his wizardry to make this uh, sound good. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the RotoWire NFL podcast.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?